guys, this is Debbie and welcome back to my podcast, Candle in a Dark Room. So today I have my lovely friend, Stevie here. Stevie is the founder of Her. After leaving her abusive relationship in 2016, she realized sharing her story, connecting with other survivors, and learning about domestic violence were three crucial elements in her healing journey. She wanted to make sure every survivor could be given those three opportunities. When she's not running Her, you'll find her in the mountains of Montana, hanging out with her partner and two border collies, or reconnecting with her Latino roots. Stevie, welcome to my podcast. I'm so excited to have you here, finally. <laughs> yes, thank you. I'm so excited, too. I mean, for listeners out there, Desi and I have been connected on Instagram for probably at least two years now, and have just yeah. wanted to collaborate this way for a while. <laughs> <laughs> but like you said before, between both of our schedules, it's been a little bit hard, but I'm so glad that we finally have been able to get here and share your story. Again, she is the founder of HER, which if you guys don't know HER, can you explain um, what HER stands for? Yeah, so um, We Are HER is a nonprofit that helps survivors of abuse or assault um, become HER after trauma. And HER just stands for healed, empowered, and restored. So we really do that yeah, we do that through three different ways. One is story sharing. So we have a podcast too. Um, we also do it through educational events. So Desi actually did one of those events for us about this time last year during COVID. Yeah. Hosted a great workshop for us about mental health, um, and trauma and how those are linked, or we do, um, community building. So we'll get survivors together in person or digitally now through COVID too. So that's kind of how we operate. Awesome. Yeah. I love, we are her. Um, like she said, I did a webinar for them last year about how, um, the effects that trauma has not only on our mental health, but also on our physical bodies. Um, so if you guys have not checked that out, check out the, we are her what page, either Instagram page or their YouTube channel, because that's where all of their interviews and all that are. Stevie, why don't you start, like you said, I said earlier, you left a domestic abuse situation in 2016. Why don't you start by just telling us your story and how you got to where you are today? Yeah, of course. So even though kind of the turning point for me was 2016 with this abusive relationship, I think like many survivors, my story begins even earlier than that in my childhood. And I think I've been going to therapy for a few years now, but I've really recently kind of dug into my childhood and, you know, how that's played out and why my childhood kind of affected a lot of the decisions that I made romantically as an adult. Mm -hmm. And you know, I think it's really hard for me even today to say I I grew up in an abusive household. And I think just with the survivors I've talked to with really, with We Are Her, it's really hard sometimes to be like, well, it was toxic or it was unhealthy, but I never got hit. So it wasn't abusive. Right. And so even though I tell survivors all the time that like, it doesn't have to be physical to be violent, I still struggle with that concept myself too. Mm -hmm. Um, and so in my household growing up, you know, my parents weren't physically violent to us, but they were abusive in other ways. And that word still feels very taboo to me because I do have a relationship with my parents. I, you know, I haven't cut them off. I do have stronger boundaries, but, you know, I think just as a child, for example, you know, my dad would show anger in very unhealthy ways. And so growing up, I learned that that was an acceptable, acceptable way to be angry. Um, You know, I remember one time he punched a hole through a wall and it's like, Mm. that's not what, you know, a normal human does when they're angry. Um, 
just little things where it was always very, you know, my mom was really good at just making me feel really bad about myself, you know, just Mm. that verbal abuse. And so I grew up thinking the way that they treated me and my brother was normal. And so I think when I got into relationships, I didn't know how to spot red flags because red flags to me were normal. (laughs) If anything, if anything, it was just a normal relationship. You had no idea like you said, that what a help, but like compared to a healthy relationship, what was it? Yeah, exactly. And so it was almost kind of weird because I would say a majority of the relationships that I was in when I started dating from the time that I was about 16 until I found myself in this real abusive relationship at 22, a lot of them had a lot of really unhealthy elements. And I wouldn't say that all of them were abusive at all, but, you know, especially, you know, there are some that just things were not right in that relationship. And part of it could have been, we were so young. We didn't know how to communicate. Probably both of us had parents that didn't necessarily teach us what healthy relationships were. And so, you know, I never had a good example of what that was. My parents didn't have a healthy marriage. You know, I just never had that idea in my head of like, oh, this is what this could actually be. This is what communicating looks like. And so I knew even when I was in college that my home life wasn't great, but I would never say that it was abusive. And so I know that when I was in college, I was like, as soon as I graduate, I'm moving far away. I just knew I had to get away from my parents for my own peace of mind, but I couldn't quite label it yet. And I think Mm -hmm. if someone had told me that what I was going through was abusive, I would have been like, um, no. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like it's just such a taboo word and it's really scary, you know, to like, identify as someone who's been in an abusive relationship or household or partnership or whatever. I think that people assume that if you're not, that there's not physical abuse going on 24 seven, then it's, you know, it's not abuse when, like you said, it doesn't have to be physical to be abusive. So thank you for pointing yeah, that out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And my freshman year of college, I remember this moment so clearly there was a girl who was a freshman as well. And I think it was the spring semester of my freshman year, she put on this seminar, probably for sexual assault awareness month in April, um, where she talked about the abusive relationship she was in. And she went up and told her story and it was about emotional abuse. And I remember at the time being in the audience, like, who does this girl think she is being on the stage? We all go through this. She's not special. In my head, I was thinking this. And now like, I'm kind of mortified that I thought that um, because I would obviously never think that. But at the time I give myself some grace because that was my normal, you know? And so I was really thinking like, we all go through this, right? Like this is normal. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Why, why am I going, why am I going to this big event? at Why are you, why do you have a stage? And I don't. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it was just, you know, and looking back, like I'm almost like sad because it's like, it was so normalized for me that like when someone was literally up on a stage telling me how wrong it was, I couldn't see that for myself. And, you know, I just hope that if anyone is listening to this and they're thinking the same thing where it's like, well, I'm going through this, just know that it is a big deal, Yeah, <laughs> you know, cause you know, 18 year old me didn't. And I think that shaped a lot of how I started my adult life is just really thinking like, okay, they talk to me this way. That's fine. They treat me this way. That's fine. You know, it's um, a ripple. Effect. And I even have friends. It started from emotional abuse to, you know, other things that build up and build up. And then that's very common for physical abuse people, you know, survivors will often tell you like from the beginning, it was normal. And then it 
like you said, it kind of changed to emotional abuse and then it progressed to physical abuse. So I feel like that's very normal. Like you said, especially considering that you thought that was a normal household. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, there was even one guy I dated in college and not a bad guy at all, but there were some moments that were red flag moments. And I remember one time um, he would get very jealous and um, I had spotty reception on my college campus and my roommate got very concerned. She was like, yeah, he stopped by and I told him you weren't here and he kind of freaked out. And then later he must've noticed that I was back. Cause I remember he threw a shoe at my window to get my attention. Cause I lived on like the second floor of this dorm. Mm-hmm. And he was mm-hmm. like, I've been trying to get a hold of you. Like, where are you? Why aren't you like letting me in? Cause you had to have like a key card to access like the dorm that you lived in. And I remember afterwards, my roommate sat me down. She's like, it's really creepy that he like found his way into the building, knocked on the door, asked where you were, and then waited outside and was like throwing stuff out our window. Like, that's not okay. Right. That's and not normal. T- like, yeah, I was like, he just needed to get a hold of me. And now looking back, I'm like, um, no, like that is really creepy. Like that was obsessive. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's very obsessive behavior. Um, you know, and even me talking about it now, I'm like, was it that bad? And it's like, yes, it's that bad. You know, and we just, it's so normalized for young women to like brush these things aside. But like that could have been like stalking behavior if that had escalated and I dated him longer, maybe it would have gotten worse. I don't know. Well, I feel um, like just also young, like, that. like young, you know, teenagers and stuff think, oh, it's just because he loves me so much. It's just because he cares. And it's like, yeah, but like you said, there's a line and there, it, it changes from normal to like love to like, you know, infatuation then to obsessiveness. Like that's, that's the, the difference. Yes, exactly. And so I felt like I was, you know, you've probably heard that frog in the boiling water metaphor where like, if mm-hmm. you stick a frog in a pot of boiling water, it's going to instantly jump out. It's hot. But if you stick a frog in water and you slowly turn it up, the frog is going to stay and then it's going to get boiled to death. And that's kind of how domestic violence works where it's like, right go on a first date and someone hits you on the first date, you're obviously going to be like, I'm never doing a second date. Like you're going to feel like you have the right to call the cops on this person. You know, you're not going to feel out of line for Mm -hmm. saying what it is, but if you are dating someone and then it slowly progresses, you're that frog in the boiling water, you know, like you don't see it. And -hmm. especially when you come from a background where that was normalized, like it's just so ingrained in you that you don't know what it is. And so it took years of people like calling out the behavior that I was, you know, being treated as in these relationships for me to finally be like, oh, right. This isn't okay. This isn't normal. So, you know, after college, I did that. You know, I fulfilled that promise myself. I moved far away, you know, moved halfway across the country and had a good job and didn't have any friends where I moved um, and met somebody. And that's where I got in this big, um, violent relationship that I was in that kind of was the turning point for, for me. And we dated for about a year and a half, two years. And it was kind of the same thing where a lot of what he did, I didn't realize it was wrong, but at the same time, there was something kind of awakening in me that was like, but it isn't wrong. Right. And I would kind of internally question some of the things he would do. Like just, he would love bomb me right away when we first started hanging out. And I remember him telling me, oh, I love you. Maybe like two months into hanging out, not even dating. Mm. And I was like, oh, wow, thank you (laughs) that you feel that way. But I'm not going to lie to you and say it back. And he got really mad at me. Mm. And part of 
like, well, if he loves you, why would he be mad at you? Like, and part of me was like, should I have just lied to him? And I was like, no, absolutely not. Like, that's a huge thing. I didn't want to just lie about loving someone. And so I had this internal struggle of like, but like, why would this person get mad at me over something like this? And I started questioning it. And it was the first time in my life that I did ever really question the behavior of someone and how they were treating me. And I honestly don't know why I started questioning things, but I think, I don't know, looking back, I'm like, well, that was definitely the worst I had ever been treated was by this person. And so maybe for me, it was just drawing a line. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was alone and I didn't have, for the first time in my life, I didn't have friends by my side to be like, um, see the way this person's treating you. That's not right okay. to like point out the obvious thing. Yeah. And I almost had to just start doing that for myself. Mm-hmm. And it was really scary because I'm the type of person where I need a lot of validation in order to feel secure in my decisions. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have any of that. And so I remember like we started dating in like November and by February, I was already like, I need to leave this person, but I'm mm-hmm. stuck. You know, and that's just a couple months. And right. That feeling of stuck just grew and grew and grew the longer that I was with him. And did you live with him or not yet? Yeah, that's a great question. So that was, I think, one of the big reasons I felt really stuck is um we were dating and I didn't live with him. I lived with a roommate and he was just looking back, he was really just making things really uncomfortable for my roommate. Like when I first moved in with her, she was like, cool. You don't have a boyfriend. Like just, you know, I not the type of roommate that's going to want a guy spending the night every single night. I'm like, no, I totally get that. She's like, if he wants to spend the night, like a couple times here and there, that's fine. I was like, I can agree to that. That's cool. And he would always be like, can I spend the night? And I'm like, you just did last night. So you should go to your own place tonight. And he would get really upset. Like, why can't I spend the night? Do you not want me here? Like, am I not good Mm. enough? And so then I'd feel guilty and cave or I fall asleep super early. I'm morning person, not a night owl. And so, you know, we'd fall asleep watching Netflix or something. And he would just use that as an excuse. Well, she's asleep. I'm going to spend the night, even though I told him he couldn't. Mm. And so my roommate would get really upset with me. And I was like, I didn't know how to be like, I'm sorry, I'm trying, you know, like I felt really bad. And so Mm. things just got really tense with my roommate to the point where like, I felt really bad being her roommate because I kept kind of breaking all of these boundaries that she had established, but I wasn't intentionally breaking them like he was. And he knew these boundaries and kept pushing it every time. And so it got to the point where he was like, well, I know things are kind of tense with your roommate one. And it's like, okay, well, they're tense because of you. Right. He also kind of was like, I know you want a dog and you can't have a dog at your current place. You should live with me. And I was like, those were not good enough. He was, but at the same time, that voice in my head kicked in. I was like, I've only been dating this guy for like a couple of months. Yeah. No, not living with him. Like I was very adamant with that. And I was like, you know, it's too soon. I don't feel comfortable. And I was like, we can talk about it maybe for the summer or something. We can think about it then. But like, I remember just being like very hesitant about it and not feeling comfortable about it at all. And kind of like expressing that to him. So there was this trip we went on. And when I got back home from the trip, I got very sick, had a fever, was just like very tired and ended up calling off work. And so he ended up checking on me and during his lunch break one day and was like, you know, we should really take you to urgent care or something. 
And I was like, no, it's fine. And he was like, I'm taking you. So we went to urgent care and they basically told me like, if he had not brought you here, you would have probably died on your couch later this afternoon. And so it went from all of a sudden just being like, oh, I feel kind of sick to being like, oh, I have like this health emergency and I have no idea what's going on. And still to this day, I never got any answers. I'll kind of preface it with that. Then it went away? Yeah, it did. And, you know, I have no idea if there was foul play in the relationship or not. Like, I don't want to speculate too much. I've had friends tell me they think there was, that it might've been him who caused it. I have no idea. Something just didn't add Um, up. Yes, I will say that as a fact. Something did not add up as to why I ended up at the hospital. They did every single test, you know, blood work. I had a spinal tap, everything. They had no idea, right? But the funny part about funny in quotes, the not so funny part about the story, right, is that he actually used that as leverage to get me to move in because, Mm. again, I'm living halfway across the country from where I grew up. I have like no friends still. I'm still very new to this community. He said, well, you need to move in with me because if you this happens again, I need to take care of you. And I'm not going to drive all the way from my apartment to yours to the hospital. And I got scared for my life. I was like, oh, you're right. You know, like I don't have family here. I don't want to die alone in an apartment with a roommate that I'm not currently getting along with. Like it was just, it seemed like that was my only option. I got Very narcissistic behavior, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And whether or not he caused it or not, he did use it as leverage right. to get me to move with him because he right. made me feel like I had no choice and that no one else was going to be there for me if I got sick again. And I did end up get, getting sick again. I got sick again in March. Um, and he kind of used that. So I got sick in the beginning of February. I moved in with him March 1st. So I gave my roommate about a month notice. And then at the end of March, actually on my birthday in 2015, I got sick again. I was in the hospital in the ICU again. And it was just, again, where there was just blood tests, everything. They had no idea. And it was just so scary knowing that like I could have died and my family wouldn't have had any idea, you know? So it was, that was a very traumatic, I think, part of my life. Um, And it was just so scary because I didn't even live with him and I felt stuck. And then when I lived with him, oh my God, even more stuck. And of course Mm -hmm. he bought me a dog and (laughs) like, you know, while I bought myself the dog, he took me to go get it and promised that he would get it. Right. So again, just like little things where it's just like telling me one thing and not doing the other thing, whether it's something little about like a dog or something big that really mattered um, and was important to me. So it just got really scary from there. And that was when, you know, I started living with him and that's when he became sexually abusive to me. And Mm. after that, I just, I thought I was stuck then. Oh my God, I'm stuck now. And I grew up in a religious household. And so just even for me admitting that I was like a survivor of rape felt taboo, you know, like, oh, I have, I had sex before marriage sort of thing. And we had obviously done that consensually before. So it was just like, I could never tell anybody the secret, you know, it just felt like. So without going into, you know, too much, I don't want to trigger anything like that. Can you explain a little bit more of like what you mean by that? Like, did he, when you were sleeping or what type of things happened? Yeah, no, I wasn't sleeping. You know, there was one instance that stands out in my mind particularly well, mostly because after I was done dating him, myself and another victim of his actually took him to court for sexual assault. And Mm. so this was the instance that I remembered the best. And he is actually a felon now, did serve a little bit of time in jail and is now on out on probation. And so it just, it seemed like things just escalated really quickly, right? Like once I lived with him, he was able to be sexually abusive. 
And then a few months down the road, he was physically abusive and it just escalated so quickly. And I had no idea what was happening and it almost didn't feel real when it was happening. Um, did you just, just feel like, like, did he just not ask you? Yeah, he definitely took complete control. You know, it was one of those moments where would have never expected that to be like a sexual moment. And he took advantage of the moment, um, to be completely honest, like it was the day I was getting my wisdom teeth taken out. And so I remember the dentist had given me medication that would kind of like make me like knock out almost a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And he had given me that early because I was supposed to take it at breakfast and he gave it to me like right when I woke up. And so before it had like officially kicked in, that's when I was sexually assaulted by him for the first time. Okay. So it yep. progressed and it became a regular thing or did it only happen a few times or was it pretty much every time at that point? I mean, that's such an interesting question because I was dating this person, right? I love this person. You know, I wanted to be with this person. And so sometimes it was consensual and sometimes it wasn't. And it was just for lack of a better word, became this like huge gray area of like, I didn't even really understand when it was and wasn't sometimes because it was just so normalized by that point that Mm -hmm. usually our interactions probably weren't consensual, you know, looking back now, it was never really like, am I getting permission from this person, whether it's verbal or nonverbal, it was just like, he's going to do what he's going to do. And sometimes I was okay with it. And sometimes I wasn't, but I never got the option to say what I wanted or didn't want. My trauma response definitely freeze, freeze or fawn. And fawn is often known as appease too. So I appease things in the situation, which is just it's a valid trauma response, but according right. to law enforce- enforcement, it's not, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, yeah. And so just who I am as a person, those are usually the two trauma responses that I have. And it just sucks because, you know, I remember at least one time telling him no for sure. And it just, that was the time that sticks out to me where he didn't care. And so I think mm. after that, I was like, well, no, didn't work. So I'm just going to freeze and appease because that's what I'm my body's used to doing. That's what's most comfortable for me in traumatic moments. And it's not going to help either way, whatever I do. So at that point, did you realize like, Hey, this is abuse. Or did you realize any of that yet? Or did you kind of just, this is what it is. It's our relationship. Or can you explain that? You know, it didn't feel right, but yeah, I don't think I would have ever labeled it as abuse at the time. And I remember my parents even came out and visited in the summer. So we had probably been dating for like close to like six to nine months at that point. And they were like, we don't like this guy. He's not good to you. If you want, you know, we can pack your stuff up, put it in like a, um, what, <laughs> what's those places called? Like a storage unit storage. Yeah. And, and you can come home with us and we'll come get your stuff later. Like my parents were that afraid for me, mm. which for so me, other people I, were starting to notice, even though they weren't, they didn't live there just, and that right there kind of yeah. explains like they didn't even live there, but just a short period that they were there realized like, this is not normal. Yes, exactly. Not healthy. And, yeah. And it, it almost blew me away because I was like, I knew it, but I only admitted it to myself, but for someone else to see it, I almost was mad. You know, I was mm. like, I don't. I was almost mad because I was like, no one else can see what I'm going through, but me, it's embarrassing. It's shameful. Like how dare someone else notice and call it out? Everything's fine. We're fine. We, he loves me. He just has bad days, you know, just very just defensive behavior. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And I got so mad 
I got really mad with my parents, especially I think there's a part of me too that was like, how dare you call him out when you're not any better? Yeah. You know, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like how dare you have an opinion of him? And looking back, like my ex reminds me a lot of my dad, which is so terrible to say, but just, there were some things where I was like, oh my God, my dad would act the same way in this situation. Mm-hmm. And so I think I always, I remember calling my dad and be like, oh yeah, you'd like this guy because he did X, Y, or Z. And I know that you would do X, Y, or Z. And so I don't know if that was like for my dad to be like, um, I don't know if my dad was like, I realized that I don't have the right reaction. And maybe this guy isn't good for my daughter in that way. I have no idea what caused him to realize, but yeah, I got, I got really angry afterwards. And a lot of that anger, even though it was kind of directed at them, it was mostly directed at the fact that like, I was angry that someone had found out my shameful secret that my wasn't what it was supposed to be because I really wanted this image of like, I moved, I have a great job, a great relationship. Life looks good for me. I figured life out, right? Like mm-hmm. you guys could figure your life out. You guys couldn't help me figure life out, but I could do it by myself. And the right. truth was like, wasn't at that point. Mm-hmm. And I have all the skills too, but with this guy I was dating, absolutely. You know, like <laughs> it just yeah. wasn't working. And I even remember like after my parents visited, I sat, I had made a couple friends by then, you know, so I sat my friends down and I was like, Hey, my parents visited, they said this and I love my friends. Right. But when someone talks about abuse and you haven't been in an abusive relationship, it's really hard to know what to say. And their response was like, well, as long as you're happy, that's all that counts. Mm -hmm. And no shade to my friends. Like I said, I love these girls. They are my rocks. They've been through this with me. But when you're in an abusive relationship, of course you have happy moments. And when someone says, as long as you're happy, that's all that counts. The first thing your brain does is think about all the happy moments. So instead of thinking about abuse that I was enduring, I was thinking about, oh, well, we just had this great road trip and we just took this vacation and, you know, dinner the other night was really nice. I am happy. He just has bad days, Mm. you know, like, he's going through a hard time. Like he had lost his job. Like things are just hard right now. Of course Mm -hmm. he's reacting the way that he's reacting. Like, and he had a hard childhood, you know, like his dad's not around, wasn't around. He didn't have a good role model. Like he's figuring things out too. He's a young adult. We're figuring life out. It's hard. I had every excuse in the book, you know, and it's like, looking back, it's like one, his trauma is not an excuse for how he treated me. Exactly. His, you know, his own mental health issues are not an excuse for how he treated me. His alcohol problems and addictions are not an excuse for how he treated me. Like no yeah. matter what someone is going through in life, doesn't give them an excuse to abuse you. Yeah. And I just kept blaming it on all these things that in my mind felt like a valid excuse. Well, well, so tell me kind of what happened was your breaking point and how you got away. Cause I think a lot of people that are in this situation, that's, probably the biggest thing is how, when was your breaking point when you realized this is wrong, I need to get out and how you got out. My breaking point happened. All right, guys. So if you follow me on Instagram, you've probably seen me wearing and repping the cutest leggings and workout gear. Well, all of that is from my ladies at Clone Apparel. The founder, Alex, was actually a guest on episode 10, Darkness Before Dawn on season one, which was about suicide prevention. Clone specializes in apparel for every booty and boob type. Plus, they have stuff for men as well. I can literally go from recording this podcast to the gym to picking up my kids and never have to worry about them moving, scrunching, or showing my booty. They are squat-proof, moisture-wicking, and did I mention super affordable? I'm talking nothing over $45. 
They will be launching new styles, including high-waisted workout shorts this month, which I seriously cannot wait for. Check out the clone highlight on my Instagram page and make sure you follow them on Facebook and or Instagram at clone apparel. That's K-L-O-N apparel. And the link to their website is in the bio. Also, if you use the discount code candle in a dark room, one word, you will get 20% off. So make sure you check them out now. You will not regret it. And in March of 2016, I had just gotten a brand new job, a job I was really good at, a job I was really proud to have. And um, my boss had said, hey, if you keep doing just as well, I'm going to send you to Hawaii. And it was, it was for a work trip, but airplane ticket was paid for hotel room overlooking the ocean was paid for, you know, food was paid for. And I wanted to go to Hawaii. And I remember telling him like, Hey, if you want to come, you can come my boss. You know, I have a whole hotel room to myself. I'll be working during the days, but we'll have evenings off. All you have to do is pay for your flight. And he got really mad at me. Like, how do you expect me to pay for that? And I was like, okay, guess you're not going. That's fine. And he just made guilt trip me the whole time before the trip. Like, oh, so you get to go on a vacation without me. You would hate if I went with, you know, somewhere without you. And I was like, this is a work trip, first of all. And I just felt so, so guilty. But I ended up going to Hawaii. And while I was in Hawaii, he, one, was trying to make me seem really bad at my job, right? Was always calling me when he knew I'd be at work, was just sending me these harassing, verbally abusive text messages all day where it was like obviously affecting my job. It just so happened that this Hawaii trip took place over my birthday. And I ended up getting a card back home from a friend from college, a male friend. And I just remember he sent me a picture of the card and was like, you know, cursing me out. And he was like, you know, look who sent you a card. And I got really nervous thinking, oh, maybe there's something inappropriate in the card. That's why he's mad. And I thought, I'm like, I'm so sorry. Did he say something he shouldn't have said in the card? And the card, all it said was happy birthday. You know, nothing bad in the card at all. But he made me think that this friend had said something inappropriate. So, you know, I deleted this friend off Facebook, you know, was taking all these measures because I was like, okay, I can't have my partner mad at me. You know, and my friend really overstepped a line, even though he didn't, but was making me think that he did. So I reached a breaking point and my coworker was like, girl, what's happening? Your work's not super good. Like you can just tell you've been stressed. Like you're in Hawaii, what's happening? This work trip was supposed to really like, you know, we want you to come on other trips to other really cool locations. But if you're going to be working like this, we like, we can't have you working like this. And I remember she sat me down and I just bawled my eyes out. And I was like, you know, my relationship's falling apart. It keeps calling me and texting me. And I just remember breaking down and explaining all the things that he was saying. He's talking to me like this and treating me like this. And it was bad. And that I reached my breaking point because hearing those words, right? Like my goal had always been, I need to prove to my parents that my college degree was worth it. You know, I'm the first person in my family to get a degree that, you know, my hard work is worth it, that moving across the country is worth it. And when I heard like, you're not going to be able to maybe go on these work trips anymore. I instantly was like, this is my breaking point. Mm -hmm. I have worked so hard to get where I am today. And that was it. Just sitting there crying in Hawaii. I realized I'm like, I am in the prettiest place on the planet just the oceans right here, beautiful flowers, like waterfalls, everything. And here I am so worried about this guy who hasn't been treating me right, who I've felt stuck with for the last year. 
you need to get out. And so I'm in Hawaii working and simultaneously, you know, working with my friends back home, we secured a moving van, we secured a storage unit, you know, my parents helped me find that stuff too. We made plans. So, so you called everyone and let everyone know, like, I'm done. I want to Yes. Leave. Here's how okay. he's been actually treating me. Some people were surprised. Most weren't, you know, most were like, I'm glad you figured this out for yourself. You know, it's yeah. time. And I got home from Hawaii and had to pretend like everything was okay for three days because I think we arranged for everything to happen like on a Friday so that I had the weekend to kind of decompress. And I think my flight got in on like a Wednesday or something. And at this point, he had been super mad at me, right? Like, and I knew I was going to leave him at this point. So I didn't care as much anymore for some reason. Mm -hmm. I was just kind of like, whatever make these threats. I don't care. And so he was still every day calling me, threatening me, texting me, just leaving horrible messages. And so I get home and my dad was like, just so you know, like you need to play dumb and act sorry, suck up to him. Just pretend like you did everything wrong and you know it so that you can get out of there alive because right. my parents were legit afraid my life was on the line. Did he physically abuse you as well? Yes. He hit me on one occasion. And that was kind of when I knew I needed to get out where I stopped making excuses for things, but I didn't have the courage yet to leave. You know, I right. still was like, I don't know how to leave. And so this Hawaii trip for me was really like, okay, my eyes were already opened, but I can't take it anymore. Like I'm leaving. I don't care. But he and had hit you in the past to where you figured if you, if he figured out that you were leaving, that that would be dangerous for you. Yeah. And he did own firearms and he's not a hunter. He's not a sport shooter. And so that had always kind of been in the back of my mind too. Mm. And he had always told stories about other women that he had been with and kind of described different like abusive things he had done to them. And I just knew in the back of my head by the way that he talked to other, talked about other women that things would not be good for me when I left him. Because right. he always to talk about, oh, well, when this girlfriend left me, this is how I got back at her. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, He's very those two only yes. And in the back of my head, I was like, oh, those two only dated for a couple months. We've been together for a year and a half now. When I leave, it's going to be way worse. He was planting those seeds of fear in my head and very rightfully so. I think a part of me was afraid that that was an option was that my life was on the line. And I, I do believe that just based on how he had been treating me and how he talked about other women who had left him and just knowing that other women had left him. And it finally dawned on me. I was like, oh, other women have taken really drastic measures to leave this guy because he's abusive. You right. know, you don't like leave all, you know, in the middle of the night with all your stuff when everything's fine. And the puzzle pieces kind of started coming together at this point mm -hmm. when I was in Hawaii, where I was like, oh, right, that story that he told, yep, that's not okay. You know, like it wasn't yeah. just crazy exes he had. It was actually like, no, these women weren't crazy. You're abusive. So I got back from Hawaii and I did exactly as my dad said. I was like, I'm so sorry. I messed up. I'm the one at fault. Please forgive me. You know, I was saying all of those things. Oh, I which makes like me like sick to my stomach just because. I, you know, seeing my mom, my mom was in abusive relationships and having to say that and take responsibility for things that, you know, you haven't done wrong, but for your own safety is just, it's so wrong. And it just makes me so sad that that was a situation you were in, but you did it to comply and to keep yourself alive. Yeah. And it worked. 
you know, that Friday, I remember he got ready for work. I pretended to get ready for work. You know, I got in my car, pretended to drive off, saw him get in his car, drive off, immediately turned around and picked my friend up so we could get the giant U-Haul truck and load all my stuff in. And it was a weird day because for him, it was just a regular Friday, right? I remember him texting me like, hey, there's a new restaurant in town. Like we should get reservations. And I ignored it. And I had my like scene, like right read receipts on. And I remember him being like, WTF, I can see you read my message. Why aren't you responding to me? What guy are you with right now? And it's a Friday workday. So like, right. Like jump to those conclusions was he always did that, but it's just like so wild. The things that he would say and the conclusions he would make. And you know, I'm packing all my stuff up. I'm like, I don't care. Not getting dinner with you. Like not responding to any of your messages. I am out of here. In those moments when he first started sending the message and was like, Hey, we should go to this restaurant. Did you second guess yourself at all? Or at that point you were just already over it. Oh, I was done. I was so ready to go out. Like, I think, you know, there's part of a, there was definitely a little part of me that was like sad because I did have feelings for this guy, but overall the adrenaline was pumping. I was getting my stuff out. My friends were there, you know, there was no turning around now, you know? Right. Okay. And we packed all our stuff up. We had pretty much gotten the whole, all of my stuff out. And he came home for lunch because he thought that I was acting weird. And, oh, shit. oh, it was so bad. It was so bad. Oh, it was so bad. Everyone oh, ended up okay. You know, hurt. No one was hurt, which is good. But, you know, I did have some guy friends there and I'm so thankful that I had male friends there because I think that is what stopped him from escalating because there is no way that he was going to be able to take on the three or four guys that were there, you know, where had it just been me and my girlfriends, I think things could have got really, really ugly. And luckily all he did was just yell at us and puff up and get big. But, you know, he couldn't actually do anything. There was just no way he was going to get, get away with anything. And it was what were really you saying just, to him at this point? Were you saying things to him? Like, this is why I'm leaving or anything like that? Or were you, were you kind of just, I just need to go at this point? Yeah. I, you know, I don't even remember that whole day. Such a blur. I just remember him yelling at us. And I think I remember one of my guy friends just saying, calm down, man, she's going, it is what it is. You just have to like accept the situation. And I, I almost think my guy friend just kind of talked for me, which I don't even know if I would have known what to say. Like, I'm almost kind of like shaking now, just remembering it because it was such like Mm -hmm. a high, like, Oh, just so much energy and bad energy in the air. When he got there, you know, it was like, we were almost so happy moving my stuff out. You know, my friends were like excited for me that I could get out and we were, you know, let's be quick, let's hurry up. And it was just this chaos. As soon as he pulled up, it just like your stomach sank. Yes, exactly. You know, like it was just so happy. And then it just got dark all of a sudden, you know, where it was just like, oh no, he's here. Like, what do we do? And luckily, you know, my stuff was already out and it was just, oh, it was just chaos seeing him. And as soon as you saw him, you know, it was just like this dark cloud kind of hung over the day. And I knew at some point he would find out. And I was just kind of hoping that it would be when he got home from work, he would come home and see how my stuff was gone. But that's not how it played out. And I kind of had to tell him there and it was just, it was so messy, but I I think I knew then that I was free and I knew, I knew that he wasn't going to do anything with those guys there. You know, I think part of me was like, Oh, he could run and get a gun. But I was like, he's not going to do that. 
he is so worried about his image and what he looks like to other people. There's no way he's going to like shoot me while other people are here. Show his like true colors. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So I think it might've crossed my mind, but I think I was instantly like, yeah, there's no way. Like he's just too worried about his image and he's not going to ruin that. So yeah, the most that he did was just like yelling insults at me and stuff. And it was scary, but yeah, he didn't like show his true, true colors in front of everybody else. Just enough for them to be like, yeah, we understand why you're leaving. Let's go. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my goodness. That, yeah, that's a very stressful situation. I'm over here like <laughs> my <laughs> got chills and I'm like, oh my gosh. So you got away. Was that kind of the end of it? Did he continue to harass you or? Ugh, I wish that was the end of it, but it wasn't. Had some finances together and we needed to sort that sort of thing out. I remember I changed my number and I blocked him on social media. So the only way that he could get a hold of me was through email. And every day I would check my email and it was just the hardest thing I had to do because I would get messages from him every day and you never knew if he was going to be in a good mood or a bad mood or what it was going to be. And most of the times it was like, you know, you let your friends think for you. They told you I was bad and you just don't have, you know, a mind of your own to be able to make your own decisions. You're a weak person. You let other people think for you. I was never bad to you. You just let them, you know, they control your mind. You listen to other people. And so listening, it was just so hurtful, all the things he would say, you know, just throwing it back at me. And I remember just every day I would check my email and I would just sob at my desk because everything he said hurt me. And it wouldn't matter if it was something that was just like super accusational or if it was just something small or if it was just something about finances, because I think part of me was really hoping that he would say something along the lines of, I'm sorry, I care about you. And I never got that. Mm. And it almost just hurt worse that the only thing he could say was just insult after insult after insult when I still did care about him. I knew that being with him wasn't the right option for me, but I did care. And I think all mm-hmm. I really wanted was for him to just say, I care about you. Yeah. Take responsibility for hurting you. Yeah. Something, something. Yeah. And I think for a while, even checking my email felt triggering and yeah. And so, you know, I did talk with him for a little while and then it got to the point where I was kind of starting to date again, just kind of casually here and there. And I met this guy. He's super great. I'm not with him anymore, but we were hanging out and turns out his mom runs a women's shelter in Alaska. And he was like, Stevie, you know, the stories that you're telling me about this guy, it sounds like you were in an abusive relationship. And that was the very first time someone had actually used the word abuse to describe what I had been through. Mm. And it's didn't feel wrong anymore when he said it, but it also was super scary to have a label attached to it. Mm -hmm. And, um, I was like, no, 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 no. It was just bad. It was just a bad relationship. It was just a very bad relationship. And he was like, no, this sounds like domestic violence. Like you should really reach out to the local women's organization and get some help. And, you know, he was really great about it. But at that moment, he's like, you don't need to be dating me right now. Like you need to, you need to get help. Like you're only a few months out of this. And, at the time I took that as like rejection. Like I was really upset Mm. that I wasn't not for him, but at the same time, he did me the biggest favor of my life. I did reach out to the women's organization and that was huge for me. I ended up getting an order of protection against this guy and I ended up joining a group where I got to share my story. I ended up starting, we are her. And I don't think it would have happened if that guy hadn't said that I needed to reach out for help. Mm -hmm. And 
it was just so, it was real when he put that label to it. And I think up until then, abuse always felt taboo, right? Like abuse felt like those videos where, you know, women get punched and they're hiding the black and blue with their makeup. And I was like, that's not me. Like I got hit but that wasn't me, you know? And even when that is you, you don't want to admit that to you because those mm-hmm. videos are sad. They're pathetic. They're not, that's not what domestic violence really looks like. Right. That's like one small moment of domestic violence. And for the first time I actually got to say like, no, what I went through is what domestic violence looks like. Not those weird ads that they throw out there. No, you those free PSAs or whatever. Like it was really scary, but it was also kind of validating. And The first time that I reached out to Haven, the women's organization here in Bozeman, Montana, I reached out to a woman named Emily and I was like, yeah, I think I'm just looking to volunteer. I want to give back in some way. And I think she kind of sensed that I was a survivor myself. And she's like, well, we have this group where you can share your story. And I was like, yeah, I want to do that. And Emily's like, okay, I'll sign you up. And I remember being like, oh, I don't have to share my story with her. Like, she just believes me that I am a survivor. Like, it was so validating in the moment that she was just like, okay, yeah, you can be a part of this. And I didn't have to like explain, but he did this and that counts, right? And I think it was bad. And she just believed me. And I don't even know if she really knows it, but exactly what she said was exactly what I needed to hear. That I, for the first time, didn't have to explain myself and make it feel like what I had went through was actually terrible because for so long I had been hiding it. And felt really shameful about it. And it was just so validating to know that someone believed me without me having to explain anything. And that was really pivotal for me. Really, really pivotal. (laughs) Wow. So explain how and why you started We Are Her. Like, how did that even happen? Yeah. So I met Emily, right? I'm doing this group called End the Silence. I'm sharing my story and I'm starting to heal. I'm meeting other survivors. It feels like, wow, I have this whole new community, this whole new friend group, like finally like educated about what's been happening to me my whole life. Like this generational trauma that's been passed down on both my parents' side, that's been affecting our family lines for generations. And I get to be the one to be the cycle breaker, right? Like it's just empowering. Mm-hmm. And I have this newfound energy. And um, I realized though that, Had I been dating someone like my ex back in Illinois, where I'm originally from, there wasn't an organization like Haven. And I'm Mm. like, I think if this had happened, I probably would have just ended up marrying that guy. You know, there would have been no one around to tell me like, this isn't okay. There would have been no one around to help me get that order of protection or to help me with, you know, the court case that I eventually went through. And I think I can do something here. And I started writing my story out and it felt really empowering to write it out. And I had a couple of friends that I knew had been sexually assaulted or had been in violent relationships. And I reached out and I said, Hey, if I start a blog where we can share our stories anonymously, just get them out so we can heal ourselves and that other people can read them. Would you be interested? And I asked six people and five out of the six all said yes. Mm. And I was like, okay, this is clearly something people want to do. And so we launched, we are her is just a blog, just a website with a blog. And all of a sudden people started reaching out like, Hey, can I share my story too? And I was like, Oh yeah, of course. And then more people and more people. And then it started just friends or friends of friends. And all of a sudden it was like, how did you hear about us? And they're like, um, you know, I searched you on Google or whatever, you know? And it was like, mm-hmm. I didn't even know these people anymore. Like I had people from other countries reaching out and I was like, Whoa, 
this is bigger than I ever thought. Like I thought it was mm-hmm. just going to be me writing on a blog right. and all of a sudden all these people are flying to We Are Her. And that's kind of when I realized, oh, this can be, this can be a little bigger. So I think about after maybe a year or a year and a half of that, we applied to be a nonprofit. And that's when we started doing more. We started doing these educational events. We started doing, you know, these community building events and really like having more opportunities for survivors to share their stories. And I don't know that I ever like knew what We Are Her was going to turn into. I think part of me was kind of sad by it too, because so many people, so many friends, so many women in my life have come out of the woodworks to say me too, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that has been the hardest thing about We Are Her, just knowing, oh, wow, I used to ride the bus with that girl, or wow, we used to have English class together, and she was going through this at the same time I was, or they were going through this before I was, or whatever it happened to be. And it's just the network that you build is it's sad, but at the same time, it's so empowering to know that like, you're not the only one. And it sucks to know that there's so many of us out there who have gone through things like this, but it's also really powerful to know that we're the, we're the silent majority, but we also have a whole lot of power to change things and to make things better for women and for other generations after us. Absolutely. Oh, wow. I just love everything you're doing and everything you've started. And I've known a little bit of your story, but now getting all the details and stuff, I always knew you were a strong and amazing and badass woman, but you really are. And knowing you and talking to you, you wouldn't ever think those type of things you've been through because you do come across as such a strong, independent woman. And I'm so grateful that you decided to share this today. I know you are engaged recently. I'm super excited for you and you just look so happy, genuinely happy. Can you explain just a little bit? How does that feel to have someone truly love you the way you deserve to be loved? Yeah, I I feel so fortunate to have found uh, my fiance. When he and I first started dating, I was in a really dark place. I was maybe a year, year and a half out of leaving my abuser. And I told myself, like, I am not going to date. Like, I can't date until I learn to love myself. Like, was just very much mm-hmm. like on that path. He kind of stepped in and I was like, nope, can't date him. He's great, but I don't know how to love myself yet. So can't do it. Yeah. And I remember I started kind of thinking, I was like, no, like I deserve love too. Even if I don't know how to love myself yet, like I still deserve Mm -hmm. love. And I'm really glad that I took that chance because I think loving myself is still something that's a work in progress for myself. And I just realized he had so many green flags because all my life I was told, look out for the red flags and you can't see red flags when, like we said earlier, when you don't know what those are, Right. but you can be like, wow, when we get in fights, this guy doesn't just yell, doesn't just react. He tells me calmly how he feels and how he's affected and how he wants to be treated and expects the same back from me. He expects that I'm going to be able to communicate clearly because he communicates clearly. He needs something. He doesn't just expect me to know it. He's able to communicate that and he doesn't get jealous. He trusts me and respects me. He's not questioning me. He doesn't, if I go out, he's not constantly, you know, where are you? Who are you with? Like, he's just respectful and he's just a kind human being. He's kind to other people. He gives back, you know, to organizations and he has great friends and it was just everything about him radiated kindness and positivity and love. And that's not something I can say about my other exes. You know, they might've had a couple of those green flags here and there, but that wasn't who made them what they were. And when I look at my fiance, I'm like, no, that's who you are. Like you have one giant green flag. And I really think that had I learned 
not learned to just look for green flags, I would have kept just looking for the red flags the whole time. And I think that's how you miss out on love because, you know, you can't see those. And I'm so grateful that I really switched that part of my perspective because I was able to find him. And not Mm -hmm. only that, but I was able to see things that he had that I wanted because Mm -hmm. when we started dating, terrible communicator. And I wouldn't say I'm perfect now, but I'm so much better at it because I saw that quality in him and I wanted it. And I wanted to be like that. Yeah. Where I could never say that about my abusive ex. Like I I couldn't look at him and be like, Oh, I want your qualities. I didn't want any of his qualities, you know? And I think it's really important to date somebody or be with somebody who has qualities that you want to emulate yourself too. It's amazing to have a a spouse or partner who makes you a better person, not a worst person, not a sad person, not, you know, not somebody who's going to bring the light out of you, not someone who's going to, like you said before, with your ex, have a dark cloud. And that I think is huge. And I think that we both have been lucky for that. You know, my husband, I always say like in my darkest of darkness and my cloud, the huge part of the reason why I was able to get out of that was because of his light, which came into my life and taught me like, okay, this is not how all men are. Not all men are abusive. Not all men are this way, you know, and here we are 14 years later. And I know for people like you and I, it's very common to continue those generational curses and those cycles to be able to be like, no, we are stopping this now. This is what a healthy relationship actually looks like. And for someone like us who never even saw a healthy relationship supposed to look like, but yet we have one is so rare and so amazing in that case. So if you're going through abuse or you're going through things like this, it's, I know it's easy to shut yourself off because you're afraid, but like Stevie said, you know, there are people out there with green flags and even though it can be scary to be vulnerable again, it's worth it when you find that right person. So CD, seriously, thank you so much for sharing your story. I know that there's a lot of people on here who've dealt with the most domestic violence and are dealing with it. And um, that's something I personally can't, one of the things that I can't relate to. So you being on here and sharing that, I appreciate it so much. You guys, please follow Stevie at We Are Her on Instagram. And then like she said, she has the We Are Her blog. What's, what's your, your website? Uh, we Are Her.net. We are her.net. Okay. So yeah, um, like she said, she does webinars. She does all types of different things. We will be collaborating with more things in the future because I love our organizations working together. Reach out to Stevie as well. If you're in a situation like this and you need some advice, how to handle the situation really quick. I just wanted to close off. So you did testify against him, correct? Yeah. So he actually got a plea deal. So it didn't quite work out as well as we had hoped, but the other victim in the case actually got to see justice. So I personally didn't for what he did to me, but he's still on probation. I got a lifetime order of protection, you know, because of it. So yeah, right now I feel okay. And I'm just glad that he has this on his record now so that other women who come into his life at least know what he has done to someone Mm -hmm. else because he dated someone after me and it escalated much quicker the things that he did to her than he, that he did to me. So just glad that he's seen a little bit of punishment for what he's done. And I hope that it's enough to have him change ways. But if not, I'm just really glad that the other victim that he had has seen some justice. Yeah. And you're in a good place now, obviously with domestic violence and any type of abuse, it's a lifelong journey. So is that something that you continue to work through? And I think we talked about this in the past is even though we're in this field, it's sometimes I think people assume, or we assume on ourselves that, okay, well, we're supposed to help the people. So 
we can't still be in that dark place, right? Where we still do have those moments and that's perfectly normal. And like you said, it's something that going to therapy regularly is a great thing. And to continue with that for your future, to make sure you always have that support to help you with your healing journey. Oh, I am always working on myself. And my kind of mantra in life is that it ebbs and flows. And really, I water is healing to me. So anytime I'm having a bad day, I think of the ocean tide and how the ocean Mm. goes back and forth and back and forth. And I try to remind myself that the bad will go back out with the tide and the good will come in. And sometimes the good will go out and the bad will replace it. But life is continually moving and life is continually shifting and I'm never going to be in a bad place for forever. And that also really helps me enjoy the good moments because when I'm in it, I just try to live in the moment. I try to appreciate it so that when a bad moment does come, I know that I took advantage of those good moments whether they were there because yeah, it's going to be a lifelong thing and I just have to embrace it. (laughs) Absolutely. That's beautiful. Well, you are a beautiful soul inside and out. And I just, I'm so grateful that we get to share this community and space together because it's definitely needed in, in our world today. So thank you again for taking the time to be here. You guys make sure you follow her and make sure you're following at candle in a dark room. And we will talk to you guys next time.